Welcome to the Potential Leader Lab. I'm your host, Perry Moffmer, and today we are exploring the idea of leaders embracing the opportunity to evolve. Now, first things first, all that I do, I approach through the E3 framework, and that means we leverage exploring, experimenting, and evolving as our means of navigating our leadership odyssey. Now, I also define leadership as having a positive impact on the lives of those we care about. And with this definition, every single one of us has both the opportunity and responsibility to lead in whatever part of the world it makes the most sense for us to do so. My thought is, if we all individually take these opportunities, we can collectively make the world a better place. So here we go. As always, I'll start with three quotes from other smarter people to kind of frame our discussion. The first one is an unknown author, and it's simply, different isn't always better, but better is always different. The second one is from Colson Whitehead, and he says, It is failure that guides evolution. Perfection provides no incentive for improvement, and nothing is perfect. And then finally, Marie Curie, who said, You cannot hope to build a better world without improving the individuals. To that end, each of us must work for his own improvement and, at the same time, share a general responsibility for all humanity, our particular duty being to aid those to whom we think we can be of most use. All right, so here we go. Let's talk about the word evolve. Now, evolve comes from the Latin word evolvere, which means to unroll. The perfect image to keep in mind when we're thinking of this verb, because when something is unrolling or unraveling, it's doing so at a natural, gradual pace and not all at once. So it evolved describes a development that takes time to reach its final destination. We can think about that as, uh, let's say, change with a speed limit. And so the second piece I want to talk about is in psychological terms, there's something called a schema. And a schema is a set of preconceived ideas that your brain uses to perceive and interpret new information. So, so we form new schemas based on our experiences in life it's really important for us to understand that and to challenge our own schemas as we go forward because the only way we learn is by adapting those. So we're, we're actually building new ones throughout our life. If we do this, the, I'm not going to say the right way, but a way in which this enables us to, a way that enables us to learn. Because if we always keep the same ones and we're always seeing everything through the same frames, through the same schema, then we're processing the information in the same way. So we're really not seeing anything new. And this, and as we've talked before, you know, our brains are not really there to help us. So the, our brain really wants to do things as efficiently as possible, which means as quickly as possible. Anything we see, it's going to instantaneously categorize for us as something that's similar to something we've seen in the past so that we can move quickly. We don't always want that. We should really be looking for what's different, not what's the same when we engage with things. But just from a default standpoint, we're always going to, we always think about things when we have an experience and instantaneously we're comparing it to all the things we've done in the past to see what we should do going forward. So there's a really useful evolutionary adaptation for it, but again, not in the world that we live and we don't need that speed because everything isn't life or death. <clears throat> and it's really important because how we frame the process is important because however we position it to ourselves dictates the likelihood of success or failure for us. And you can see that with everybody that you come in contact with and every and you yourself because however, you know, we 
one of my favorite sayings is we don't believe things because it's true. It's true because we believe it. If we believe we're going to fail at something, then most likely we're going to fail. It's just we set the expectation in our mind. And so another piece that we can explore is around the growth mindset, Carol Dweck's work. And they talk about these kind of five ways that being in a growth mindset benefits us. It improves our self-esteem. Okay, so I'll come back to that in a second. I'll go through these. Improve self-esteem. We're able to learn new skills more readily. We accept and embrace new challenges. We see things as opportunities. We see things that come up to us as an opportunity and not as a, not as a uh, I'll call it an issue or a challenge or a roadblock. And then we, we look out for new feedback. Now, I want to go back to the self-esteem. And a growth mindset's critical for self-belief. And the reason for that is because if we come across something we've never done before, if we come across a challenge that we've never seen before, if we have a growth mindset, our, our thought default is, I can figure this out. I have the resources. I can talk to people. I can look up stuff on YouTube. I can research it. I can ask friends, family, but I'll figure a way to get up around over it. That's only if you have a growth mindset. If you don't have a growth mindset, then that, that, that uh, hurdle in front of you may seem insurmountable because we're not confident in ourselves. That's self-esteem, and, and that flows from self-efficacy. And self-efficacy, as I'm sure I've mentioned a couple times before, is our belief in our ability to do something well, our belief in our own ability to succeed. And we build that because we have successes in the past. I just met with, uh, I was meeting with a couple people this morning and and, uh, one person owned the business and the other person was somebody that worked for them. And after the person that worked for them left, I pulled them, pulled the owner aside and I said, "The, the best thing you can do for that person is find them some small wins. Help them build up that self-efficacy. And I realize that some people that are what we'll call type A personalities, some people that are, you call them drivers or whatever you want to call them, those folks have a natural tendency to that. So in their life, they grew up winning. And I use the term winning figuratively. They grew up being successful in all that they tried. So we all know people like that. We know people that no matter what they do, they seem to excel. Well, those are people that developed a growth mindset. Now, the argument can be nature and nurture, and it's probably a little of both. But the reality is, once we learn how to win, we expect to win. And I can tell you this because my, uh, my middle son played basketball in high school, and he had the same team as, as, as you would imagine from the time they were in junior high through high school. The whole time this team was together, these group of kids were together in junior high, they might have won two or three games over two or three years. And then they got into high school, freshman year, sophomore year, even junior year. So freshman year, same thing, one or two wins. Sophomore year, same thing, a couple more. Junior year, they, they won a few more games. The senior year, that same group made it to the district finals. Now, what happened is they had to actually learn how to win. It wasn't, it wasn't their fault. It was like learned helplessness. So we, we have to understand that reality with other people. Everybody isn't wired the same, and it's neither bad nor good. So we shouldn't spend time judging. If we want to help people, then this growth mindset and this evolutionary mindset is important because people can always grow and adapt. That's what evolution is. Now, strictly biological evolution is adaptation for what, uh, what will increase the species. 
because that's the only thing that gets adapted are things that make the species more viable. But we get to choose in our, in what we're talking about today, we get to choose what we develop. And that's pretty darned awesome, right? We get to select the things that work for us and then focus on them if, if we're willing to do it. Now, uh, growth mindset. So next one is, and I want to touch on another thing too, the opportunities and challenges. It is really important when you have a growth mindset and especially when you're working with folks. So leaders and organizations, my guess is you already have this. If you didn't, you wouldn't be a leader in the organization. You actually, to be honest, you wouldn't even strive to be a leader. So I don't care if you, and again, go back to leadership. It's improving the world for people that we care about. I don't care what your title is. I don't care where you are. But if you're listening to this, most likely you already have a growth mindset or you wouldn't be listening to the podcast. You wouldn't be listening to any podcast. You wouldn't be reading books. You wouldn't be doing any of that, right? So it's not you we're talking about, but it's the way you can influence other people because this accepting new challenges and opportunities, I'm sure you either have folks that are friends of yours that in your family that you work with who don't see the world like that. They're very frustrated when something comes up. It's like, ah, again, like, what am I going to fix this? Or why do we have to deal with this now? Or, oh, this client is horrible. Or, and, and your mindset is always, well, we can, it's no big deal. Like we can figure that out. That in and of itself, imagine the difference, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but imagine the difference just in the chemicals released in your body. Uh, next time you want to listen to a good one, we can, you can always listen to Eric Pennington and his Spirit of EQ because he'll tell you about this. But imagine the amount of neurochemicals that are released based on the, your mindset. They're different. Now imagine that. Same event happens to two different people and different chemicals are released in their body. There's going to be more on that later, so stay tuned. But it, it cortisol, if, if, I'm, if I'm excited, stress is good for us. You stress is good for us, right? We need a certain amount of stress and anxiety to succeed. But it all depends on how we view it and how we process it. And you can help people with this. If you have the natural inclination, you can help them. You don't judge them because they don't do it. You try to help them because they don't do it. That's what leaders do. They, bring, they raise people up. We don't judge them and keep them down. We, we look at what we think they're capable of and we bring them up to that level because all of us, if we're looking at other people, see more potential than any of us see in ourselves. Now, another concept is locus of control and locus of control is, is similar to mindset, but it's essentially that I have, um, that I assume a personal responsibility and influence over what happens to me. And when we face a new situation, I trust in my ability to influence it and, and, no, and then the thing appears less threatening. So when something happens to me, I instantaneously go, okay, I'll figure this out. So it's really similar to growth mindset, but it's a different theory. It's an internal locus of control. Now, the opposite of that is an external locus of control. So if you know people with an external locus of control, they say things like, well, that person made me mad or this or my boss did this to me or this happened to me or, you know, somebody did this to me. So it's always somebody else or something else acting upon them. And they feel powerless to change that. Whereas people with an internal locus of control, their mindset is, well, this happened, but I have power in the situation. I can make the outcome different where people with an external locus of control don't believe that same thing. And so these are concepts that if you want to look into, there are things that can help you from a leadership perspective, help other people. And by the way, helping other people is the best way to help yourself. Because the more you talk about things like this with other people, there's this great saying, 
um, I spent 15 years in uh, uh, being an adjunct faculty member for an MBA program. And I always love the phrase, teaching is the opportunity to learn again. And that's really what leadership is. The more you lead, the more you learn. And if, you, if you're with other people and you're helping them understand these concepts and the application and the value, then it's going to be better for you too because you're going to find places in your own life to do this. So, so as we're teaching people, as we're helping people, we're actually helping ourselves. And now here's where it gets you know, kind of interesting. So and not only will our performance be impacted by what we think, but we also absorb assumptions from those around us. And there was a researcher, uh, Aliyah Crum from Stanford. She said the following, our minds aren't passive observers, simply perceiving reality as it is. Our minds actually change reality. In other words, the reality we experience tomorrow is in part a product of the mindsets we hold today. Now, this is a researcher. This is a psychologist. This is not some hippie from the 60s. In reality, we experience tomorrow. What the, in the reality we experience tomorrow is in part a product of the mindset we hold today. Now, she, she did this really interesting study that I want to tell you about. It's called the, uh, the milkshake experiment. If, if, in fact, you don't think that your mind's a powerful thing, Here's what, it, here's what she did. She, she created a huge batch of French vanilla milkshakes, and then she divided the batch into two that were labeled in very different ways. Half of it was put in a bottle labeled as a low-calorie drink called Sensa Shake, advertised as having 0% fat, zero added sugar, and only 140 calories. Then she took the other half and put it in bottles that were labeled as containing an incredibly rich treat called Indulgence. So we have Sensa Shake versus Indulgence. And according to the label, indulgence had all kinds of things that wouldn't benefit your upper thighs, including sugar and fat and account and, and for 620 calories, when in fact the shake only had 300. So one of them said 140, one of them said 620, the actual shake had 300. Now, both before and after the people in the study drank their shakes, nurses measured their levels of a hormone, hormone called ghrelin. Now, ghrelin is a hormone secreted in the gut. It's actually referred to as the hunger hormone. So when ghrelin levels in the stomach rise, it signals the brain that it's time to seek out food. Now, because it, it, then if it, and if it goes down, then it says you, it slows down your metabolism. And also when it goes up, because and just in case you might not find food. So if it goes up, your metabolism ramps up and you're looking for food. But after it rises, you have a big meal, say, you know, cheeseburger, side of fries, some dessert, your ghrelin level drops. And that's signaling to the mind you've had enough and they're going to rev up the metabolism now to burn food right? To burn the calories you just ingested. So again, ghrelin level is the hunger hormone. If it's down, right? If it goes, let me make sure I got this right. Yeah. If it's, wait, when the ghrelin level rises, it signals the brain to seek out food. So I want to make sure. So when the ghrelin level goes up, it usually goes up after you've eaten. So after you've eaten something and you've satiated that hunger, your ghrelin level rises and it triggers your brain to say, okay, we're good. Now, if it drops, it's going to say you're hungry, right? So if you're still hungry, it's going to stay low. Now, here's what happened. I get You can probably guess what happens here. When they gave the people the two shakes, they have two groups. Now, remember, one's labeled as 600 calories, one's 140, 620, one's 140, one's indulgence, one's sense of shake. The actual thing has 300, exact same formula, all right? The ghrelin levels dropped about three times more when people were consuming the indulgent shake or they thought they were consuming the indulging shake. 
compared to the people who drank the sensible shake or thought that's what they were drinking. So when people thought they were drinking a highly indulgent shake, their ghrelin levels dropped three times more than the other people who thought they were drinking a sensible shake. That was because of what, how they were primed. So unless you think that your mind is, your brain is not a powerful thing, it controlled the amount of ghrelin hormone in your blood based on what you thought you were drinking. Now, the argument she makes is kind of funny. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the argument she makes is we should never label stuff low fat or diet because when we do that and we eat those things, we're telling our brain that it's not satiating our hunger and our ghrelin level doesn't drop. Now, she does say, you know, we, we shouldn't throw out all science at this point. She's not saying that. She said her quote was, our beliefs matter in virtually every domain, in everything we do. How much is a mystery, but I don't think we, we, we give enough credit to the role our beliefs play in determining our physiology and our reality. Now, if you, and there's a great, actually a great book on this called The Expectation Effect by David Robson. It's really, really good. He talks about the impact on aging, the impact on a lot of different things that our brains have, some fascinating stuff in there on Alzheimer's, all, all kinds of stuff. So The Expectation Effect by David Robson. Now, those are a few things just from an, uh, an exploration standpoint, some, some things that we can think about. Now, what do we do? Now, you know, now we move into experimenting in both thinking and acting. And remember, my opinion is we have to act our way into a new way of thinking. We can't think our way into a new way of acting. So at some point, you know, we do the, you know, my process, the E3 process of explore, experiment, evolve. We do the exploration. We have to do the research, but at some point we have to do something different. We have to, if we want to, if we want to be different, we have to do different. And so at that point we have to do something with this. Here's what I'd recommend some ideas to think about. And again, experiments are things that fail more than they succeed. So these aren't, these aren't, Hey, do step one, two, and three. I have a solution for you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, here are some things that I think about that I've tried or that I've, that I've read about that might be an interesting way to think about this. Uh, number one, gain clarity on your motivation. Now, why I say that is we, it, this is going to be hard work. That's why I say it. And if it's going to be hard work, then you're going to have to have a really good reason to want to do it because it's going to require energy. And I also think that in that mindset, we should strike professional development from our vernacular. We should make it all personal development. This isn't, you're not doing it again. If you, if you think it's professional development, you're doing it for work. So how much, how much is that going to hold up when, when the, when it gets tough to do it? Cause it, because it is going to require a lot of energy. And there are, there's a ton of research that shows that a professional develop excels. It, it, it has a better, much better result if it's intrinsically motivated, right? If, if I am in charge of it and I'm doing it because I want to do it or because I think I'm going to get something as a result of it. So again, extra external or extrin, extrinsic motivation is stuff from the outside. Like I'm going to get promotion. I'm going to get recognition. I'm going to get money. If those are the things that are driving your, your need for development, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not going to be, it's going to be harder to accomplish because your willpower to fight through these things, you're going to need a lot of it because we're talking about behavior change, right? Whatever we do, we have to do for our own growth and good, or we won't do it because it's hard work. 
So, so thinking about this from the standpoint of I'm going to do this for a better job or a promotion or recognition or whatever, I would tell you, and, and this is what I say all the time, is I believe those things are important, but I want you to drill into why they're important for you. It's going to be different for everybody. But if you want a promotion because it's going to pay you more, then, then I want to think about what do you want to do with that money? What's that represent to you? Because the money itself, and we're actually going to talk about this in a future podcast, money itself does not motivate right? So personal develop is intrinsically motivated. You know, when we're motivated or inspired to continually seek out our own development, the focus is on how you can serve others. And this is the second piece I would, I would challenge you with. When we make it a goal to develop, to serve other people, it somehow becomes easier. And what I mean by that, it's less friction. We're willing to commit more to it. And, and again, I go back to Maslow and we talk about I, I look at this as professional development is more self-actualization, the top of his pyramid, which is becoming the best version of yourself. And I think we need to move beyond that, as Maslow said, and work towards self-transcendence. And, and here's what he said about self-transcendence. Transcendence, refer, transcendence refers to the very highest and most inclusive or holistic levels of human consciousness, behaving and relating as ends rather than means, to oneself, to significant others, to human beings in general, to other species, to nature, and to the cosmos. When we frame what we're doing like that, the very highest and most inclusive or holistic levels of human consciousness, behaving and relating, if we think about that's what we're striving to do, we're great leaders strive to transcend themselves. It's about other people. Now we have to take care of ourselves. This isn't, this isn't selflessness. It's looking at the impact you can have on those around you. When that becomes your focus, it, it does become easier to expend energy. When everything is about you, when all you want to do is for you, then there's a limited, in my belief, a limited amount of energy you're willing to expend on that. I'll be back to the lab right after this. Leadership is not simply a position or job title bestowed on you. Being a great leader takes commitment, resilience, and the ability to be adaptive. The E3 framework will help you reimagine everything you thought you knew about leadership and unlock the leadership potential that's inside you. Head to potentialleaderlab.com backslash hashtag opt in and sign up today. Now, let's get back in the lab. Now, the second piece of this is we really have to be intentional about what we think. And so I believe that once we see how the relentless pursuit of our own evolution can make the world a better place for those we care about, we actually shift from want to need. And that is a powerful shift in terms of motivation. I no longer want to do this. I need to do this because of the impact I can have on other people. It really does allow us to see the world differently and rise above or go beyond the limits that society sets for us. We can achieve greater things when we shift from want to need. And it's, it, become, it no longer is a matter of if, it's a matter of when we'll see the plans come to fruition. Because we, we live in that future state now and then we create positive cognitive dissonance. Right, So cognitive dissonance is essentially, you have, we go back to the thing we started talking about about our, our frames. We have some expectation that we hold in our head and we see some disconfirming information outside of us. We're faced with that disconfirming information. We have to relieve that dissonance. And there's only three ways to do it. And you see it every day. 
change your behavior, change your beliefs, or the easiest one that everybody defaults to is just justify your beliefs and behaviors, right? First two have the word change in them. Last one has the word justify. So there's only three ways to relieve cognitive dissonance. And that is I change my behavior, I change my belief, or I justify my belief in my behavior. I want you to think about that, about what you do and about what other people do. Because, because I, would, I would sit here and tell you that if you look around a higher percentage of the time, people justify their beliefs and behaviors. They do neither of the first two. Think about it. Think about how hard it would be to change your belief in something. Think about how hard it would be to change your behavior. But that's but when we when we focus on others, when we focus on the world, when we focus on what's best for everybody, not just for me, we can make those shifts. Now, all of this means we need to we need to do a couple things. We need to ask ourselves, what do you want? So you need to ask yourself the question, what do I want? And you need to ask it often. And you need to hold yourself accountable for an answer. And what I mean by that is write it down. We have to write down the things that are important to us so that we know we're making sense, that we know our thinking makes sense. Because unfortunately, when it's banging around in your cranium, it all makes sense. But when you have to write it down and be efficient and effective with communicating and be able to tell people in one or two sentences what you're thinking, sometimes that's not so easy. It takes a little editing. It takes a little time for us to clarify it because in our heads, it all made sense. I'm sure I'm not the only one who this has happened to. I've been thinking about something for a long time and then I start talking about it. And suddenly I'm like, I, this is not making any sense. Like I made sense in my head, but this makes no sense at all. And it isn't even the thing I wanted to communicate. So write it down. Think about what you want out of your life and write it down and be specific and refer back to it daily, weekly, monthly, and you'll see why that's important in just a second. Secondly, when you do this, select your words very carefully and understand that you cannot talk down to yourself constantly and expect positive results. If you're going to be your own worst critic and use language in your head about how you failed this and you're a loser and why does this always happen to you and all of those things, that's what's going to happen. Now, remember, I talked about cognitive dissonance. Imagine you have to answer a question for yourself. Are you thinking more about what you want to happen or what you don't want to happen? Are you thinking more positive things about your future or more negative things about your future? The reason I ask you the question is your brain, whatever's in that, whatever's getting repeated gets done. So if you are constantly thinking about the things that are going wrong in your life and how you want them to stop going wrong, you're still thinking about things that are wrong. You have to replace those thoughts with about things that are right and about things that you want and about positive things. Because whatever you think about, your brain is going to start actively closing the gap on. And it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it, but it's not. I just want you to understand you have to, you have to choose the words very carefully and you have to choose your thoughts very carefully. There's, there's studies done on this and they talked about people, a uh, uh, smoking cessation. And when people, when people think about all they think about is not smoking, they're still thinking about smoking. 
you can't think of the the negative or absence of the thing that you don't want and still act because you're still that pathway is still getting deepened in your head. You have to create a different pathway. So just remember your words matter. Then you need to backcast instead of forecast. So you answer the question, what do I want? And you create the reality in your mind of already living in that world where you've accomplished that goal and determine what would be doable and work backwards to tomorrow to create an action plan. Now, if your goal is to achieve X and it's going to take you five years, then you have to work five years backwards to say, okay, what do I need to do tomorrow? What has to happen tomorrow and the next day and the next day for me to get there? Because this is not Pollyannish thinking where we're just going to wish our way into, into success. That shit doesn't work. I'm talking about doing hard work to make something happen, but having absolute radical clarity around what it is. It's not going to happen by, you know, I, I had this great conversation with my wife, Lisa, last night about manifesting. We, we had this conversation and she said, you know, I, I understand it, but I, I just don't feel like it works. I'm like, well, why not? And she, and it, you know, comes into wishful thinking. Like you can't just sit around and, and I, I'm like, I a hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. We're not talking about that. We're talking about imagining a future that you want has already happened to live there. And here's the example I gave her. Um, let's see. In a couple of weeks, let's see. It's the I think it's the seventh. It, the the twenty third of March is our anniversary. We'll be married thirty two years. And I can still remember the moment where I told her we were going to get married. We were in a Bob Evans parking lot, and I believe I haven't been up that way in a while. I think it was on Henderson, Henderson Road here in Columbus. And uh, we're, we're outside, we're on each, each side of the car. We walked out of Bob Evans, she's on her side, I'm on my side, look over. And I said, oh, we're gonna get married. And she just looked at me and with this quizzical look on her face and she said, what are you talking about? I go, well, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And I said, and I gave her that example of, that's what I did at that point. Like when, when we got married, it was, it was exciting and it was fun, but it wasn't surprising. And that's, it just happened. I was listening to a podcast with Rick Rubin and he was talking about Mac McClung, the young man who just won the slam dunk contest. And they, and he actually said in the interview, they said, were you surprised? And he said, no, I believe in manifesting. He goes, I was excited. I'm proud, but I am not surprised. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about no longer being surprised by our success because we can do that very thing. Now the, Um, the work has to be attached to it. Like we have to do the work, but we also have to have absolute clarity on what it is we want and a a thousand percent commitment that it's going to happen. Because what we have to do next after we create the action plan is we have to hold ourselves accountable to realign our behaviors to ensure we're walking that path. Because if you've said that's what you want, then you got to do what's required to get it. And you have to hold yourself accountable for what that path looks like and staying on that path. Because if you, in fact, do want it, you can evolve into that person. Nothing's hardwired, but it does require work. And then the last thing is we have to reorient ourselves in some predetermined cadence to ensure that we're still, that we still want that goal or outcome and that we're still doing the actions required to move us in that direction. So you have to have regular touch bases with yourself and say, okay, am I still, is this thing still the thing I want? And am I still working in that direction? 
We can't just forget about it because it does provide us with, I, you can call it a bunch of stuff. You can call it a true north. You can call it a north star. You can call it whatever you want, touchstone. But if you have the thing that you want out there, then you individually can hold yourself accountable for saying, am I acting in a way that aligns with what I said I want? Pretty simple. Not easy, but very simple. Am I behaving like the person that has that? And again, there's a little thing called be, do, have versus have, do, be, right? Most people say, well, once I have this, then I'll do X, then I'll be that person. And what you need to do is flip that around and start with, I'm going to be that person and do those things, and then I'll have that stuff. So instead of have, do, be, it's be, do, have. That's what we're talking about here. And you can only be that person once you have clarity around what that person looks like, what they do, how they behave, what decisions they make, how they make those decisions. Once you have clarity around that, then you can move in that direction. A couple final things for this part of it. Whatever they are, you'll have a much better chance of achieving them if they're also good for other people, not just something selfish for yourself. If you're focused on self-transcendence and your goal is going to be better for your family, your extended family, your society, your community, your church, your business, whatever it is, if it if your if that rising tide raises all boats, it's a greater likelihood of success in my opinion because you're going to work harder. You need to make them realistic. I'm use in parentheses, but somewhat. They can be aggressive, but there's a big difference between a goal and a wish. So you have to pressure test this thing and figure out, okay, is this, is this on the high end of doable before you put all this effort into it? And then finally, just remember, nothing happens if you don't do the work. Nothing. It's a wish, not a goal. The work still has to get done. The question you have to answer for yourself is, are you going to be in charge of the work? Are you going to direct the work so it's worth it? All right, so I'm going to close out with three more quotes. Uh, Elaine de Botton said, anyone who isn't embarrassed of who they were last year probably isn't learning enough. Big believer in that. The next one is by George C. Lichtenberg. I cannot say whether things will get better if we change. What I can say is that they must change if they are to get better. Then Henri Bergson said, to exist is to change. To change is to mature. To mature is to go on creating oneself endlessly. That sounds like evolution. And I'm going to throw in a final one. It's a fourth one, but it's too good to leave out. It's Jack Layton. My friends, love is better than anger. Hope is better than fear. Optimism is better than despair. So let us be loving, hopeful, and optimistic. And we'll change the world. Remember, all can, most won't, and few do. And my question for you is, will you be one of those relentless few who explore, experiment, and evolve so you have a positive impact on the cognitive, emotional, and psychological states of those you care about? If your answer is yes, then you are leading, and I thank you because the world needs what you have to offer, and we need it now. Take care of yourself and take care of each other, and I hope to see you back in the lab soon.